Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan. This is part two of our discussion with Ben Percy. We hope you enjoy. It's funny that you're talking so much about just like being nimble in your career and, and being being agile and, and looking at the next step and being prepared for, for stormy weather because uh, I really found... I looked at your website, uh, nice website, congratulations, and it uh, it made me both laugh out loud and get a little bit anxiously sweaty, the, the film section, because you do something I've never seen anyone else do, where you list all these projects and you're like, this was going along good, and then it died in development hell. And you say that about three things in a row. And like the first time I read it, I was like, I've never seen anyone really say that. That's funny. And then the third one, I was like, oh, this is really real. And like, and we've all had it. Like you get to a point where you're making stuff and like, yeah, you get things that seem really close. But it it's funny because I was like, it felt so honest and, and smart to just be like, cards on the table. This is what happens. Yeah. The thing is, you can be a very successful Hollywood writer. You can make a lot of money. Yeah. And never see anything get made. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, the way the network model used to work, it's different now, but like, let's say you're working for an ABC or something. ABC is going to buy whatever, uh, 50 scripts. Yeah. 60 scripts for development. These pilot, you know, they hire the people to write the pilots. So there, they're throwing out what? 200,000 to 500,000 for each of those pilots. So you work on the pilot and, and then you hand it in. And out of those 50 or 60 pilots, right, then they, they develop, maybe they shoot like tw 20 of them or yeah. 15 of them. And, and so that's a big like compression right there. But then each of those pilots, right, that they actually shoot, they, they spend two to $3 million on each of them. Out of those, they only are going to air six of them. Yeah. And then out of the six that get aired, only one is going to make it to a second season. Yeah. And so just if you look at that math, which is outdated and everything's even more complicated now because of the streamers, sure. but that just lets you know how the system operates, which is yeah. that most things are not going to make it. So as long as you go into any Hollywood work, knowing that, uh, you know, make your money and, and there's the win. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I've been on, you know, part of the WGA and part of the Screenwriters Guild. That's where my health insurance has come for, from for eight years or so. And, you know, I've had a lot of exciting, I have, I have a lot of things that are not on my website that are happening right now that I can't even, you know, really get into. Uh, but will they get made? Will they not get made? I don't know. But that's why I always try to have written material mm -hmm. that is published, whether it's as a comic, whether it's as a short story, as a novel, as a novella something that's published because then it exists. I, I try to make that happen before I do the mm -hmm. film or TV version of it, because then if it doesn't work out, that thing has not just crumbled to dust in my hands. It's, it's alive in the world somewhere. Yeah. So, I, I grew uh, a, a good buddy of mine. I grew up with um, 
I, I grew up with a, I grew up in New York and a, a lot of, a bunch of my friends moved out to LA to be screenwriters and stuff. And the most successful um, for a time, the most successful of all my friends had sold a ton of stuff and he bought a nice house. And I went out and was like, man, you're doing, you're kicking ass. Like you have a nice house in, in Los Feliz. Like this is beautiful. And he was like, none of it's getting made. And he was like, I don't even have an IMDB page. And he's like, yeah, this house was paid right? for and I can't even show my parents like credits that are not on imdb yeah yeah he was like i don't he's like to the to the outside world i don't have a career like i don't have a job i can't point to anything that says that i have a job but i have this house and uh that that to me was like oh yeah i don't i don't i'm happy with comics (laughs) i like i like writing something and it's on shelves in three months there's also something to be said about living i mean if he has a house a really nice house in california like he did very well. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that he place did. is ridiculously expensive. There's, you know, I love Minnesota. Sure. Uh, it's it's where my wife's family. This region is where my wife's family is from. It's where I've raised my kids. It's where I plan on staying. You know, we've got the inland sea of Lake Superior. We've got piney forests. There's a great <laughs> art scene. So much snow, uh, which suits my wintry sensibility. But it also, you can survive as a writer. Like, yeah, yeah. If I lived in California, I'd probably I'd be broke. The yeah, when I started, I I remember uh, I was in a, a group of writers who were who were all struggling to break out, comics writers, and and Justin Jordan was like the first of us that broke out. And I said, Justin, like, what advice can you give me? And he was like, Get the fuck out of New York City. <laughs> and he was like, Move to the cheapest place you can find to make comics. And I was like, I meant like craft stuff. And he was like your craft will be better if you're not terrified of starving to death all the time. And I was like, mm, I actually don't know that that's true for my craft, but um, it was There's good advice. something nice about not living in the center of everything. Like sure. when it comes to, I don't like, I like to hang out with writers. I like to go out for beers and when I'm hanging out at a convention, but if you're constantly surrounded by writers, you might actually think what you're doing is important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like it better when it's like, okay, you know, doing all this cool Wolverine shit, or maybe I won this award, or blah blah blah. And my wife's like, take out the trash hot shot, you know. There's, there's absolutely no reminders around me that I'm doing something cool. Yeah, I like that that, weird guy who lives down this lane who, for whatever reason, stays home every day. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you're just a uh, a recluse. Nobody can know. It's beautiful. I want to get back to sort of your your comics work because um, you're you're for a superhero writer. I know you're not exclusively a superhero writer, but you, you make a, a a lot of superhero books. You more than I I think a lot of our contemporaries have a sort of lane. You deal with a lot of sort of grounded kind of street level characters, whether it's you know, Dick Grayson and and Green Arrow to Wolverine and Ghost Rider. And obviously Ghost Rider is not necessarily just a, a grounded character per se. He is a demon, but like it's a street level book for, for yeah. better or worse. I mean, I've made Johnny Blaze into a drifter, so it's very street level. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wonder, is that for someone who jumps around in medium and genre in other things, in superhero comics, you're actually, I feel like, like, do you have 
a space book in you? Do you have the weird, like you're doing, you're doing, you're very narrow in this. Like, is that a conscious decision? Is that, is that just where you find yourself? Uh, so, you know, I, I think that no matter how like scary your vampire train is or how cool your time machine theory is or how, you know, disgusting your squid aliens are or, you know, how extraordinary your ninja fight is like none of that shit matters if you don't have a beating heart at the center of your story sure. um and that's how i sometimes feel when i'm watching certain superhero movies mm-hmm. uh, uh my thought is who cares yeah because it's just so caught up in you know that stylistic bombastic approach that they forget about reality mm-hmm um you know i don't the the end of the world doesn't mean anything to me like that kid who's gonna fall into the river that's way more scary yeah than than the world is going to end uh and and what i'm talking about here is just like trying to find the most grounded way into a narrative as possible because you know you can build outward from there and layer the crazy shit on and people will believe in it and care about it because you have actual stakes yeah. and an actual soul to your story. So, I mean, I, I do have like some space crazy stuff. I wrote the guardians of the galaxy podcast. Oh, sure. um, and that was pretty, you know, ludicrous. Like it's, I'm not usually somebody who writes a lot of humor, but I did my best with that to crack some mm-hmm. jokes and, you know, give you a cosmic mystery and blah, blah, blah. But I think that I'm much more suited for like, even when I'm writing stuff like that, like the relationship between, uh, you know, Star-Lord and um, Rocket is, is really the heart of the series. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to err on the side of character Mm -hmm. over explosions. I want, I want as many helicopters to explode in my story as possible, (laughs) of course, but, but, you know, if there's no soul to it, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's a, a lot of what really draws me to your stuff always. I, I feel like I'm, my interests lie in the same place that I, I always, I, I fell in love with Marvel Comics because it was the world outside your window. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have a connection to the, such a connection to like Thanos and the Jim Starlin Cosmics. Like I thought it was cool, but I was much more interested in like, how does Peter Parker pay his rent? Like, that's always the thing that got me. And and I, I felt like a lot of my time at Marvel was was sort of kicking and screaming, being like, we're too in love with high concept here. Like, we're too in love with high concept and we're losing sight of, like, why these characters are good and we're letting, you know, the studios dictate what the characters sound like and feel like now and the characters sound like and feel like they're 60 Peter Parkers. Like, it's not what i love about this stuff and and obviously there are books that i love and and your books are a lot of the time are are those books that i read and i'm just like damn like this is really just like you know you could drop this in any any medium and strip the characters off file the serial numbers off this and it's and it's a compelling story it's a great johnny blaze it's a great logan and that's identifiable and i'm sort of wondering in that you have this sort of grounded approach and then you end up, 
as one of the like main guys at Krakoa doing the new X-Men stuff, which is uh, it's hard to call it street level because I'm not even sure they have streets on Krakoa. <laughs> um, and obviously like X-Force and, and, and Wolverine in some ways are, are off doing their own thing and are sort of the outsiders, even on the, the mutant world. But like, what was that like to be doing that stuff suddenly and, and having Wolverine now be, yeah. redefined and x-force be redefined well i mean i think it it would always be amazing to write wolverine it felt especially cool right now uh because maybe i'm completely delusional but i i think that this era of x-men will you know stand the test of time it'll sure. be a signature sort of moment in the canon um and and so it, it it felt cool to be able to like dig my claws in i guess you could say and and hopefully you know earn my way onto the roster of of you know creators who didn't completely screw logan up mm -hmm. um I'm ha i've had fun with it from day one and you know the first opportunity arose when i was writing uh that podcast like i said and from there i transitioned into writing uh comics adaptation of the podcast and around that time i got a call from hickman and I was actually walking into Halloween, the first of the Halloween reboots. Uh -huh. um, and and I was walking into the theater and the phone rang. It was Hickman. And I picked it up and he's like, I think you'd kill it on X-Force. Um, <laughs> that's how Jonathan Hickman talks, just in case. I thought I thought you had that on tape. I thought you were playing. The he wears a seersucker suit. He's always drinking a mint julep. But, but he said, I think you killed on X-Force. And so I took him literally. Okay, just, it's the murder <laughs> book. Uh, sure. But, you know, that, that book has uh, a pretty high concept hook. And then I made X-Force into the CIA of this new mutant nation. And, and so I knew going along with that, that there was going to be a lot of moral complications that would arise. And from the very beginning, I wanted like Beast to be the director of intelligence, for Wolverine to be the director of field operations, for them to be the head and the fist. And we knew from the beginning we had a lot of rope. And so I knew I could build a long form narrative where eventually those two would come crashing together. Uh, that this organization and Krakoa would fall. Mm -hmm. Right? Would like that, that there's no such thing as a utopia that lasts. Yeah. Um, and so I knew from the beginning, like, I needed to pipe in the oxygen for that explosion to come. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to do like side journeys along the way. But right now we're early in the thick of that beast Wolverine battle. Yeah. But I've, you know, also been able to sort of like, yes, I'm part of Krakoa, but with Logan, like, you don't just want him there, you know, you yeah. want him off doing Wolverine shit in the frozen North. Yeah. You know, you want him hooking up with, uh, characters from the 616. That's one of the reasons that I wanted him to have a friend who was human. Mm -hmm. I created this guy, Jeff Bannister, who's a CIA operative. He's kind of like the Felix Leitner. Yeah. Uh, to Wolverine, James Bond or something. And so that, you know, he's got somebody who keeps him grounded along the way while there's all this crazy cosmic stuff going on with you know judgment day and and, mm -hmm. and uh, or or interdimensional incursions happening with ten of swords like despite all of that like logan's still like in the backyard 
of his buddy Jeff Bannister's house drinking a beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, it's all about like just just balance. If you if you transfer like that same notion to to short stories, like look at the way that George Saunders writes. Like George Saunders has crazy shit happening in his stories. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, you know, like oftentimes there's corporate America is satirized in some capacity yeah. uh, to a ridiculous degree. Like he has one, he has a lot of theme parks in his stories. And like there's a caveman theme park where the main character is like forced to be a caveman 24 mm-hmm. seven, like live the experience while people come in and gape at him. And he, you know, whacks the Thor and grunts and <laughs> mates with his cellmate. Uh, wow. Anyways, he has all these crazy stories, but his style is very simple. And I think that his style being simple is meant to offset the Mad Hatter quality of his stories, sure. make them more digestible, more palatable. And and so I think you have to have a little bit of that with comics too. Like you have to have those B-plot or C-plot moments, even if it's a big cosmic adventure where two characters are just like having a beer. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe it's the layouts of your story. You know, maybe you work with a grid, a conservative grid, when shit is going especially crazy because that will like if it's time travel narrative like i wrote for the 10 lives of wolverine and the x deaths of wolverine we worked within a grid the whole time mm-hmm. because if it's going all over the place we can contain it and fence it in in that way yeah stylistically right and it just becomes uh easier to but, comprehend as a result yeah the sort of balance know, different techniques for like you know cementing the madness mm-hmm. well that's a maybe not a good segue, but we're going to segue anyway. Um, I want to talk about uh, uh, your new novella, American Criminal, um, which uh, I read and is awesome. And I, I, I really loved it and was sort of blown away by it. Um, and and it has it has a couple things that that really intrigued me in it um, that I wanted to sort of pick your brain about one of those being that it um i mean first of all do you want to tell us what it's about sure yeah it's uh it's a story about a heist artist who rips off other heist artists uh that's the simplest breakdown of it um and you know he gets pinched by the fbi uh and he's faced with kind of an impossible situation he has to either work for them work for this character agent hoskins who's kind of a father figure and and again getting back to what i was saying before like every story has to have like that grounding principle to it has to have that heart to it this story is really about fathers and sons sure so he's pinched by this guy agent hoskins we know that our main character colton ward has lost his dad in the past we don't know exactly how but he's lost his dad in the past and so agent hoskins kind of fills in that gap and is forcing him to work for the fbi and the job that he wants Colton to take is infiltrating this Nordic gang, this kind of Nordic mafia gang, because mm-hmm. uh, they're about to pull off a giant heist of their own on this casino. Yeah. Uh, but there's a father figure there as well, a father figure at the head of this Nordic gang named Magnuson. And so he's sort of drawn in these two directions, Colton Ward is, and ultimately has to decide who he aligns with while also betraying everybody. Sure. And and winning, winning the game ultimately, which is what he does best. One of the things that that sort of intrigued me about it 
Um, and I realized that I had sort of two questions on it that were, I think at the heart, the same question that that's sort of about restraint in your writing. And, and, and I was going to ask, like, why is this a novella? Like, it's so rich. Like, why isn't it longer? Why, why did you make it this length? Like, it feels like there's so much meat still on the bone. But then the other thing that intrigued me was when you go through the protagonist's life, he sort of recounts a lot of his history and some of it's true. Maybe some of it's not true, but he, he touches on all these jobs he did and all these different heists he did and all these different things. And they're so fucking cool, but they're just snippets that you just get glimpses of these like, crazy crimes that that like it's the kind of thing where i'm like that's its own movie like that that one paragraph there that's a whole story that i want to know about and i love that i love i love getting the thing and and wanting more of it and then you go past it because that's not the story you're telling and and i just sort of wonder you know how do you make those calls how do you make the calls of like you come up with the cool heist he does where you know he's he's uh hijacking the guy's car through the through the auto autopilot and stuff and and things like that and like how how do you not get sucked into like well maybe i want to spend more time with that or maybe that's the story i want to tell or maybe this book is bigger like uh, how hard is it for you to to figure out where where to pull pull back there's sort of this uh i've talked about this with jerry duggan before this accordion effect that you always need to keep in mind when telling stories mm-hmm. you know and that the story could be bigger but it could probably be a lot smaller and and maybe when it's smaller it's better mm-hmm. um you know we all watch tv shows where we're like are you serious why wasn't this six episodes why is yeah. it 10 episodes sure. like these two ep- nothing happened in these three episodes where they're just doing filler yeah, you know, or, or whatever else. Like some, and, and actually, an exercise that I used to have with my grad students was I would have them tell me what their novel was in a page summary, and then I would have them tell me what their novel was in a paragraph summary, and mm-hmm. then I would have them write a log line, yeah, for the novel, a one sentence description of it, and then I would have them boil it down to a single word, huh. you know, and an example of that from you know, film, like The Godfather, the the single word that defines that film is family. Sure. Um, and, and when you do something like that, sometimes you can recognize that like, all right, maybe there's a lot of gristle around this, you know, the, the essence of this story. Maybe we can carve it away and, and find the, the core body of it. And, and with American Criminal, I mean, I already know what, I know what the second season, I guess you could say, of it is. Uh-huh. You know, the story can easily continue. Is that something something you're going to do? What's that? Are you going to continue it? Well, right now I'm pitching it as a TV show. Mm -hmm. And if it sells as a TV show, it's far more likely that I'm going to (laughs) write a sequel in prose. So, you know, part of it, you know, going back to your question, though, part of it has to do with with time. Part of it has to do with, uh, you know, the medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, I have a lot of planes in the tarmac, sure. uh, many more than are going to be able to take flight. Like I'm plugging like 10 different ideas into my idea folder every day. Mm-hmm. And I sort of have to pick and choose among them. And it takes a long time to write prose. You sure. know, if you're writing a novel, that could be years of your life. 
if I'm writing a novella, that's a lot less time. If I'm writing a short story, that's a lot less time. And so if if I'm trying to sort of balance the books, you know, that's part of my what, I, what I'm having in mind. But it's also when I was talking before about I want to sell this TV project, I want to sell this this movie project. The novella is sort of an ideal form, especially when you're talking about film. Like it's almost a direct replication of a film. Yeah. A novel usually should be a TV show because it's so big. Sure. Yeah. A short story needs a lot of expansion to become a movie. But a novella is almost like you can design it almost around the adaptation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just one of my favorite forms. It's very digestible. You know, you yeah. could read it in two sittings. You could read it in one sitting. But I, you, I, I, feel like I read it. I read it in one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shucks. Um, and, and anyways, uh, this is also an opportunity for me to like pair with an artist. Sure. And, you know, the agreement with Neotex was that there would be like 12 or 13 illustrations. Mm -hmm. And that sort of helps you, like, if you think about them as chapter breaks, it yeah. sort of helps you break it down as well. And so all of those sort of things come together to inform the reason for the story being the length that it was. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things I really loved about it was that it, you open with this great, this great opening that, you know, without giving too much away, the, the structure of the story is, is a letter, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I got about 10 pages in and I was like, oh, I love this. I love this structure. I love this conversational tone and the, and the way it works. And then I had this like impending, like, but how do you pull off the story in a satisfying way at the end? Like, it feels like it closes in on you just as a format to be like, yeah. this is a letter from one character to another, like feels restrictive in a way that that sort of was exhilarating to me. And I was like, I don't know if he could stick the landing on this. This is hard to like make this effective. And then, uh, you know, no spoilers, but but I feel like you stick the landing spectacularly. I feel like it's really rewarding and it, it justifies the and That was one of those hurdles I was talking about before. Like, I, I was like, I want to write a story as a letter. Yeah, yeah. Epistolary. I mean, I love books like Dracula and Frankenstein, epistolary stories, you know, where they're a series sure. of letters and journal entries. Sure. And, but it's, it's, it becomes so, it co becomes so restrictive that, uh, you know, I feel like the, the, the trap of that is that it's a gimmick that you're, you're, yeah. you're setting it, that you're prioritizing the gimmick over the story. But when you get to, to your story, when you go to American criminal, it, it justifies itself. It, it, it's not just a gimmick and it's not just a setting for the story. It, it's rewarding in, in how it interacts. It's, it's really got this beautiful balance of like novelty and, and purpose to it that, that I, I really loved. And I, I mean, I guess there's not a question there. I just thought it was really well, no, I, One of the things that was fun about the letter or about first person more generally, you know, when I usually write in third person when I'm doing novels, cause I like mm -hmm. to control. Sure. Where, it's like I'm the author. I've got my hand on the steering wheel. Yeah. Third person feels natural. But first person can be a lot more fun because there's always that level of dramatic irony and, and unreliability to it. Yeah. You know, every every first person narrator is a liar to some degree. Sure. And and so I really leaned into that here where he's outright lying to us. Yeah. At times. Like it's sort of like the the Joker thing where he tells the different story about where he got the scars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing that, except with regard to his father, mm -hmm. you know, how his father died. 
Yeah, yeah. So he keeps going back to that and keeps going back. It's a different story every time. Yeah. Um, and and it turns out that you know his whole relationship with uh, Magnuson was a lie. His relationship with Agent Hoskins is a lie, but a good-hearted lie, and that he wants the best for Agent Hoskins. You know, sure. yeah. he tries to. He does something very illegal and very dangerous. Yeah. But the intentions behind it are, you know. Yeah, there's there's that beautiful the 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 father son relationship has a sort of beautiful button at the end that I was like not expecting to sort of be that emotional at the end for for it to be this sort of reciprocal like feeling is it, it, it was really touching really well done um yeah i mean i guess i guess that's there's a good place to to sort of wrap it up i i i am always curious with you especially um like what do you what do you have coming up that you could talk about that you're excited about do you have stuff yeah i have a third novel in my comet cycle series so the comic cycle is sort of me building my own MCU or DCU, my own sandbox of, of craziness. Sure. Uh, you know, age old sci-fi concept. A comet comes streaking through the solar system. The planet spins through the debris field. It brings, you know, new elements to the world. Mm-hmm. And those new elements shake up the energy and weapon sector. They shake up the geopolitical theater. They create a new dawn of heroes and villains yeah. you know so that, that's what the comet cycle is about the third book comes out in september it's called the sky vault so i'm pretty geeked about that um awesome. and you know in comics i've got the wolverine ghost rider crossover coming up in august um and then for tv stuff like the big thing is this urban cowboy project i've been working on with paramount plus um adapting the tv series I mean, the, the movie Money, with Travolta yeah. and Deborah Winger into a TV series, working with my friend James Ponsel. Yeah, how's that going? Good, but this writer strike, strike yeah. happening on May 1st, and we're, we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know? Well, um, good luck with that, and good luck with all of it. It's As always, man, it's it's so awesome to see everything you're doing, and, and both. Uh, I always like when, when my peers are both like super inspiring but very intimidating it's good it's good it's good for me mentally but it's also keeps me excited to see like all the different stuff you're doing and and know yeah, that true. that it's right all the stuff i'm gonna be excited about so uh ben thanks for taking the time to come hang out with us today thank you this has been fun thanks ben And that brings us to the end of part two of our discussion with Ben Percy. Make sure to check out American Criminal, The Sky Vault, and everything else he's working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at Benjamin underscore Percy. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?